Slip Disc Back Chat Podcast with Rainer Hirsch and Norman Lebrecht. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Back Chat, which is the podcast of Slip Disc. My name is Rainer Hirsch. I'm Norman Lebrecht. And it is a pleasure to be with you once again. What have you been up to this week, Norman? Oh, it's been hectic Christmas parties, what have you. And a Rachmaninoff Third Symphony with the London Symphony Orchestra. You know, you keep thinking, why did he leave out the piano? <laughs> it's a, a piano concerto in all but name. Um, I have been in Germany. I am currently there, actually. I'm in Braunschweig, which is in Lower Saxony, doing some Christmas shows. I'll be back here in 10 days' time to do some more. And during the show, I can't, I won't bore you exactly with the explanation of how this comes out, but we asked for audience suggestions. And one of the suggestions was Germany's just been knocked out of the World Cup. So while we were on stage, it was kind of announced. In the middle of your gig. In the middle of the gig. Now, I must say, Germany were playing, and the people who came to my gig obviously were not football fans. But when that announcement was made, there was a cheer. <laughs> Can you believe it? <laughs> so uh, we've got a packed programme. I've got some teasers for you. Here is the first one. That was yet yeah, the sound of football being kicked, just in case you're wondering. Uh, here is uh, something. Ooh. Somebody going boo. And my final one, slightly more mysterious. I've got it, I've got it. Vorsprung durch Technik. <laughs> that is a removal van being shut and driving off. And all of that will be explained as we progress. Here are some adverts. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back. My name is Rainer Hirsch and I'm with Norman Abrecht. And Okay, the first one I wanted to talk about. Well, what is this? Here, it started. It started with this. Mm. That was my. That was my teaser. And this is my. 
that is people booing the sound of well, people booing and I, it comes from two stories that I picked up on the website one on November 28th 2022 which is a new production of Beethoven's Fidelio got booed and then there was a it was a review of the Vienna State Opera doing Andre Chénier and uh, when uh, the uh, critic uh, Larry El Lash wrote when Francesco Lanciotta stepped out for his solo call, booing began. I was starting to think anyone else found as much fault blame coming from the pit, but there were a lot of people booing, and I joined in spontaneously, shattering a self-imposed rule which stood for more than 20 years. Now, I don't know. Um, what, what, what did you hear about those performances? Did you hear anything special? Well, um, yes, of course I had something special because uh, Larry's review was special to Slip Disc. Um, and as a social uh, psychologist, I find them both incredibly fascinating. Imagine you are a, a good Viennese citizen and you've gone out for a night at the opera and the opera is over and it hasn't been terribly great. But you stay there and you stay and you stay and you stay long enough waiting for the conductor to come out so you can deliver a personal view. That seems to me a particular Viennese characteristic, and I'm sure it made some people very, very happy indeed. The other one is much more serious, which is the Fidelio in Berlin, which which has uh, really broader consequences. This was one of these um, young blood directors who goes around changing the plot in Fidelio. Among other things... He has Leonora, who's quite a sweet young thing and probably the only halfway defined character in the whole opera. Leonora, who is trying to spring her husband from jail where he is being allegedly unfairly held, um, goes around with a pistol and starts shooting prisoners in the dungeon. That's not in Beethoven's script. That's not in any script I've previously seen. That has nothing to do with Fidelio. And there's just too much of this sort of thing going around. You know, one of the most exciting things that happened this week, exciting pieces of news, is that after 70 years in the West End, Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap is going to go to America. And it's going to open on Broadway. And can you imagine if the mousetrap opens on Broadway in the hands of one of these young directors who decides 18 minutes into the show to announce who the murderer is? Well, that would be a postmodern thing to do. And that's akin to Leonora shooting prisoners in, in, in Fidelio. Every opera house has a dramaturg. The dramaturg is there to say, look, this is the way we do this opera and that is the way we don't do this opera. But they don't get listened to because the new director coming in is, is the one that, that uh, seems to run the show. And unless we start putting power into the elbows of dramaturgs, opera is going to be a pretty sorry spectacle, and there'll be much more. We can make ourselves the two least popular uh, presenters in podcast land by announcing who done it in uh, The Mousetrap. Have you seen The Mousetrap, by the way? No, of course not. No, I'm still waiting to know who done it. <laughs> I'll whisper it to you when I next see you. But I suppose the question is, okay, firstly, people want to put their own stamp on stuff, and that is why they do this. And by the way, to some extent, the fact we're talking about it is already a success for them. It makes them famous and infamous at the same time, and that's better than being kind of overlooked. But I suppose the point I'm make, I, I feel about this is, as a you know performing artist or you know as a creative artist, you pour your heart and soul into something, and... I want it just what it feels like to be booed, basically. Pretty terrible, I imagine. I can't imagine anybody going up there for their coat and call and feeling good about, you know, the Viennese audience booing them or any audience, frankly. Have you ever booed? 
I've never booed and I've never been booed. I've been booed in print, but I've never been booed live. I've never gone to a show and been booed. I don't know what, how I would relate to it. There is, There are also national particularities in booing. Um, I think it's generally encouraged in Germany and Austria as beneficial to cardiovascular health. You go for your checkup. And the doctor in the white coat says to you, you know, you should boo more at the theatre. Ah, it will be very good for you. And then you can save on all the jogging. Whereas, you know, British and, and American uh, theatre goers um, go along with the idea, well, we've paid £97 for our ticket and we, we are going to enjoy ourselves come what may. And it would be very impolite to, to, to boo the performers afterwards. You can leave early if you don't like it. Um, you know that... Um... You know, historically, Rossini and Meyerbeer had this great rivalry, those two, two 19th century opera composers. And Rossini used to send um, stand, people to all of Meyerbeer's first performances, to these two old guys who would sit like the, you know, the old blokes in the Muppets and fall asleep. And I think, you know, uh, Meyerbeer reversed the compliment by having professional booers turn up to Rossini's first night. That's the kind of rivalry. Well, if you've ever booed at a... If concept, we want to hear from you. Let us know. Have you ever booed? Um, what do you think about booing? Yeah, let us know. My my favorite my favorite Rossini story is the one of the um he, he was forever being assailed by brilliant young musicians, competition winners from all over the world who wanted to come and demonstrate their art to the great Rossini, and one of them was the winner of a percussion competition. Um, who came to him with the overture of, the, of, of La Casa Ladra and said, Maestro, Maestro, may, may, may I demonstrate my, my wonderful drum rolls in, like, in, in the opera of La Casa Ladra? Rossini <sighs> goes, all right then. So, and the young man says, and now there are 62 bars rest. Rossini says, observe them. <laughs> all right, so that is booing. If you have booed, if you've been booed, we want to hear from you. What do you think about booing? Here's another intro. Right, that was Derekovsky, Marks the Reed, Radetzky, Marks the Berlioz thing, um, played by the European Union Youth Orchestra, which um, has moved offices again. And I'm bringing this up, I think, probably because, um, and, you know, as a as a as an arch remainer, anything that kind of reminds me of the Brexit catastrophe feels like another stab in the heart. Uh, and they have the story is really that they moved offices again. They moved to a place else, you know, elsewhere in Europe, somewhere called Grafenegg in Austria. I don't know how you say that. It's probably some local dialect you can say that in. But the point is the, e the European youth... youth How do you like your Grafenegg for breakfast? Yes, absolutely. I'd like them uh, over easy, please. Two, grow two Grafeneggs and some schnitzel. Um, it was invented by... Uh, well, not invented. It was, it was founded by um, essentially Brits, a South African Brit, you know, and... Uh, Lionel was, and Joy Phillips. That's right. It was and it, 1976. And it was called the European Community Youth Orchestra, uh, and uh, it's it's, well, it's changed names basically. Uh, but since we left Europe, of course, we're no longer part of that. So young people in the UK can no longer play in the European Union Youth Orchestra. And I just find it just reminds me what a tragedy the whole Brexit thing is. 
Historically speaking, we now have no pre-Brexit history. Um, and culturally, nothing happened. Um, those of us with slightly longer lifespans will remember that in 1985, Britain was the cornerstone of European music year because it was the tercentenary of the birth of Bach, Handel, and Domenico Scarlatti. And, and I think we led the whole thing and, and we performed much of it and so forth. And among the other things that we did with the EU was founding this European Union Youth Orchestra. Nobody on that great big continent ever thought of founding a collective youth orchestra, but a couple of Brits did. And it was tremendously successful and it, 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 it kicked off any number of orchestral and solo careers. And it's been a wonderful thing up to the point of Brexit where it could no longer stay in Britain. Obviously, it was going to keep the name. And so it found accommodation in Italy because the Italians are very hospitable. And then the rent ran out. And now they're going to Austria and supposedly permanently. Um, nothing can ever be considered permanent. But what, what just the way that the whole pre-Brexit history has been erased um, is is just... It's sad. It's not as though there's been some kind of collective censorship, but it's though, you know, Britain has always, only, ever, ever stood alone. And actually, you know, we had 40 good years in the European Union, and that too should be celebrated. Yeah, it's like everything's being airbrushed out. It's just, oh, it feels like a tragedy. This is um, a story that occurred on the 1st of December, and it, it related, actually, to something that came out in 2016, which is a film of Seiji Ozawa conducting Beethoven. Um, well, he, 2016, he was on stage with um, Zubin Mehta assisting him conducting the Vienna Philharmonic in uh, Strauss Polka, Thunder and Lightning Polka. And then recently he's been filmed conducting Beethoven Egmont Overture, which was a performance. It wasn't a public performance really as such. It was something that was filmed and it went out to a Japanese well, astronaut up in actually up in space really it was described as the stratosphere but as one column one commentator pointed out Stephen Owadis I hope I've got that name right the international space station where Japanese astronaut Koichi Wakata was viewing this performance is far higher than the stratosphere so that's a kind of knowledgeable person we've got reading the website its altitude is about 420 kilometers while the upper limit of the stratosphere is 50 kilometers. Well, just so we know. But anyway, there's this performance of Seiji Ozawa, Egmont Overture. And I have to say, I was more than a little bit shocked. And other people on the website were too. Suave Music said, I, who's a uh, commentator, I'm glad that the elderly Ozawa is able to enjoy music, but a little troubled to see the, this video. Is he conducting or following the music? And I would say... You know, looking at that video, he's sitting. He's sitting in a wheelchair. He's a man, as we understand it, and I greatest sympathy for him, who has uh, Alzheimer's. Um, and I just wonder, you know, is there a point at which we shouldn't see that? We should. We he should be somehow, or is he being exploited in any way? What do you feel about that? It's very. Very troubling. Um, I'm, Seiji Ozawa has been ailing for the past decade. I'm using ailing in the literal sense, not in the musical sense, which means that he's been off in several better gigs somewhere else. Um, he's had uh, a stroke and he's had Alzheimer's and he's really withdrawn from conducting over that period. And now he came back to conduct an orchestra that he created from a wheelchair 
um, his movements are still musical. And one felt that kind of ambivalence that you've just articulated, should he really be there? On the other hand, if you have a parent or a friend with Alzheimer's or who is severely incapacitated, should they be locked away from public gaze if they seem to want to continue to enjoy something of the spectacle? And from what we could see um, of this film, which was happened this week that it was it was filmed and beamed up to uh, astronaut san in space was seiji seemed to be getting quite a lot out of it and was actually weeping a little at the end and the players in the orchestra all of whom were handpicked by him were clearly um deeply moved by it and and sort of torn as he was wheeled off the stage they didn't know whether to reach out a hand and touch his arm or not and he actually reached out an arm to touch one of the players just to be in contact with this orchestra that he'd created just to be making music with musicians feeling that transcendence that music can give when one does it with others he was wheeled on and wheeled off by his daughter. He was extremely well looked after. I, it, it felt really quite uplifting as a spectator. And I don't think there was anything deleterious about it. I actually think it's memorable. It won't be memorable in the sense that it erases previous memories of Seiji in his prime. Um, but it'll be there as part of the Seiji legend. Um, and in some way, in some way, as an expression of his humanity, because Seiji was always very much a people person, very much involved with the lives of players in his orchestra, especially in Boston. And that desire to connect once more with fellow musicians, I think, will be the residual message um, from this particular very, very private and then very, very public performance of Beethoven's Egmont Overture and what could have been better than Egmont. I, I hear that. I think if you haven't you know, been in touch with a character like that for some while, and that's a while since I've seen him, of course, it's like, you know, we all grow older and then you see somebody after a while and it seems they've taken a, a massive, you know, they change quite dramatically and that was what's shocking about that and I think for me for a lot of people as well there is uh, a connection of course between um, you know the residual memory for music and Alzheimer's famously people can still remember the words to songs even though they can't remember even the faces of their loved ones and so that's an important point and that's you know that re-emphasizes that also, this is a week, a very important week, in which um, there was an announcement about a, a therapy which might, to some extent, slow down the advance of Alzheimer's. And that's kind of very important news because it's so many people... That's incredibly exciting. That's so exciting. Because if we, can, if we can spare people and their families the agony of seeing the person fade away while still fully alive, I mean, wouldn't that be a wonderful legacy to pass on? Yeah, it emphasises, I think certain things it makes us think about certain things and after all this was not Seiji Azawa being presented as the as the, the consummate artist he once was 
it was a kind of a special event for spe for a special audience with very particular musicians and who are we to say that shouldn't happen but i think look look, look at the video again and and look in look at the faces of those musicians as they're playing and after they're playing and i think that will be the justification that'll be the validation they have really been lifted out of their physical being just by having seiji back again and making music with him. So that's Seiji Ozawa. Uh, that was an item uh, on the 1st of December, and you can go back and read that, and actually see the video in, as well, because that's it's all up there. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, now, um, here's my um, final item. And this is, this is my teaser, just remind you. That's a football being kicked. And this is from the, it wasn't exactly really a story, merely. It was uh, on the 29th of November. It was What to Sing at England versus Wales. And it was a collection of videos of spectacular, in some cases, performances of the National Anthem related to the World Cup, which we, uh, we tried to ignore last week. Well, we described ourselves as the only podcast which hadn't mentioned it. What was stunning about that was the Welsh national anthem, Land of My Fathers, um, being sung in Welsh. Now, I have to say, the football stadium setting with a majority men, I know some women are massively into football, soccer, as our American listeners will call it, but it's absolutely given to a, ma a brilliant performance by the Welsh fans. <laughs> Here's Land of My Fathers. That was the Welsh fans singing the national anthem. What I thought I want to do with you, Norman, is I'm going to I'm going to test you on some national anthems as sung at the World Cup. You've got to guess which country, whose country this, whose national anthem this is. All right. No disrespect to each of the countries involved if we don't get them, because I've chosen what for us. You don't always hear other people's national anthems. If I get more than two of them right, should I get an official Qatar World Cup football 
I think you can go and play for one of the national sides. Here's my first question. Ready for this one? Here we go. Now, what is actually about that? There's this massive long introduction, and then the singing just comes in after about... Any guesses about that one? There was a time in the early 1960s when a lot of African countries were gaining independence and suddenly needed a national anthem fast, um, that a couple of Israeli composers in Tel Aviv were just turning them out. I mean, they were just turning out reams of national anthems for Africa. I rather suspect this is one of those. So I'm going to say Ghana or Senegal. Did do... Ecuador, but I like the story. Oh. <laughs> I like the story. Here's one you might. Here's one slightly, slightly more reminiscent of the what what we feel about the country involved. Here it is. Are people are singing underneath that. Any ideas? Hmm. It's obviously morbid society, which takes a very long view of things. So one would immediately think Estonia or Finland, but I don't think they're involved in the present. No, no, they're not. But they have had some massive success in the World Cup, if that's any hint. They've got through and they know. Land of the Rising Sun, I can't give you more hints. Than that, that can't be. No, really? That is, a, that, that is the Japanese anthem? The Japanese national anthem as sung. Here it is again. Okay, you play that in. Uh, so that's that. That's national. Uh, here is uh, okay. Here's one which is a European one. I'll give you that hint. And the the peculiarity of this national anthem, it hasn't got words. Listen to this. Right, what national what national has no words? Obviously, it's got to be a country whose language nobody else speaks, so it'll be Hungary or Croatia. Unfortunately, uh, uh, it's a country which, I don't know how many billions of people, it's it's Spain. They've never managed to agree words, so there's a too many factional, you know, so they basically just, so they, they just sing the tune. <laughs> Oh, they go la 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 all the way through. La 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 la. That's exactly what they do. All right, I'm going to give you two more. This one is an African country, so you have to think through the Af African countries. You can Google what African countries are in the World Cup while we're listening to it. Here's the, here's the... Yeah, well, that may be the product of one of your Israeli composers. So, an African country, any ideas? Well, not Morocco, because I think I know the Morocco. That that was Senegal. Senegal. Do you know their first, their first president was a, a distinguished poet? His name was Leopold Songog, published in French. I'm just hoping the anthem has got his words to it. I wander lonely as a cloud in Senegal. What's really serious here is the singing, and I think we should scrap the football and have a World Cup for singing, um, in which clearly the finalists are going to include Wales, Finland, Estonia, 
um, possibly Japan on present form, now you, now you mention it. Whatever it is, I think we should have a World Cup for singing from which England will clearly be eliminated because they'll just be going, we're going home, it's coming home, blah, 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 blah. it's coming home. So there we are, and, and Wales will be in the final. Yes, I agree with you. I think a World Cup for World Cup for national anthems, the Welsh, I think, would have it. I mean, they belt out that song. It's quite amazing. And on that YouTube clip, everybody's going, oh, this is absolutely amazing. I've got one final one for you, which you will feel maybe might pip Wales in the final. Listen to this. Now, can I just point out, they haven't actually got to the singing yet. <laughs> they haven't even, nobody's sung a word. And then halfway through, off this massive instruction, then they start singing. Any idea who wrote the music? Uh, the, the anthem will be either Argentina or Brazil. I'm going to give you that one. It's Uruguay. The reason they take so long to come in is because they've got to finish their drink. <laughs> They're knocking back the birra. And and it's only when the bottle is empty they come in and do the big Verdi chorus. So when I was watching this, I thought, uh, you know, they've forgotten. Maybe it's like the Spanish one. There's no words to it. But actually, uh, there are. I'll just carry on, and you can hear they built it out when they get to the word. But lots of words, all very quickly put together. There you go. They, they all come in. They know when to come in. Obviously taught it at school. But that is music, not by Verdi. That sounds so much like it. It's by a, a Hungarian-born composer called Francesco Jose de Bali. His name was, or de Bali. I'm not sure how to say that. And he was born in uh, Hungary, but he emigrated to Uruguay in 1838. And he provided them with their national anthem. Well, listen, um, that is uh, our show for this time. Carry on reading the website. Carry on seeing, sending us comments. We want to hear from you and um, tell us what you think of the podcast. I just want to leave with one final story, which happened on the 28th of November, which is uh, the story of the passing after a long illness of the Austrian soprano, Gabriele Lechner. Um, she was really quite a stunning soprano in her day. Her career was entirely due to a jump in. Um, they were doing Balloin Mascara in, in Vienna and um, Claudio Bardo just, just called her up because the, 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 the soprano for opening night wasn't feeling well. And she was a stunning success opposite Luciana Pavarotti and she had a wonderful career and then she was a tremendous teacher. She died at the age of 61, which is far too soon. And um, one has only good things to say and only good memories to share of her. To close, here is... Gabriele Lechner in Ballo in Mascara, Vienna starts Oper 1986. This is the second act with Luciano Pavarotti, the duet. Um, and until next time, I'm Rainer Hirsch. I'm Norman Lebrecht. See you. See you next time. Yeehaw!